Welcome to the Leadership Launchpad Project, where purpose-driven leaders unite to change the game of life and business forever. Here are your hosts, Susan Hobson and Rob Kalvroski. Welcome to the Leadership Launchpad Project. I'm Rob Kalvroski. On this week's episode, we welcome Dave Schweiger, the Chief Product Development Officer at Odaptix to the show. We talk about how to assess ourselves as leaders, what factors make effective leaders, and why it's so crucial for us as leaders to hear from the people around us on how our leadership behaviors land with them. We talk so much in leadership about the difference or the gap between our actions, our intentions, and the impact on the people around us, and assessments, conversation, feedback is the pinnacle and the only way we can truly develop self-awareness as leaders and close those gaps to maximize our positive impact on the people around us. So definitely check this episode out. There is a ton of great leadership advice from Dave. He spent years as a researcher and consultant in the leadership space, so he has a lot of expertise to offer us. If you would like to measure and understand a diagnostic assessment from Odaptics, we at Elite High Performance have partnered with Adaptics to offer the diagnostic assessments. They're available for leadership. They're available for leading remote teams. They're also available for sales organizations. So for any of those three options, and there's some custom stuff too. So if you wanted to completely go out of the box and offer something customized for your organization, definitely reach out to me, Rob at EliteHighPerformance.com. We can give you some information, we can give you some special rates, and we can start doing some, well, we can also offer coaching around the gaps that you uncover. So definitely reach out to me, Rob at Elite High Performance, for any more information on Odaptics, on the gap assessments, the diagnostic assessments that they offer around leadership behaviors, around remote teams, and around sales teams. So Rob at Elite High Performance for that. For all other high-performance leadership programs, services, psychological safety assessments, talent optimization tools, burnout prevention programs, and more, check out EliteHighPerformance.com or you can reach me or Susan on LinkedIn or by email. I guess the next thing we have coming up, we have a Leadership Launchpad program coming out in January 2022. It's a 12-week online program with elements of video, online, on-demand coaching, weekly group coaching, weekly accountability partners where you're going to meet and connect with other great leaders across the world, and also some one-on-one coaching. So it is a great program. We've been running it for over a year now. And I have to say the people who have been through it have had some incredible results. So definitely, if you're interested in that, 
reach out to me, Rob at EliteHighPerformance.com and we can send that to you. We're going to have a website landing page up shortly. So when that's posted, I'll definitely link it. But but right for right now, the Leadership Launchpad Program, 12-week online, increase your impact both personally and professionally as a leader and hit me up, Rob at Elite High Performance, if that's for you. Everyone, I really appreciate you listening. And here's the interview with Dave Schweiger. We are back. Welcome to the Leadership Launchpad Project. I'm Rob Kalvaroski. And as always, we have our in-house high-performance leadership coach, Susan Hobson. Susan, how are you? I'm excellent firing on all cylinders as usual. Thank you for asking, sir. How are you doing? How's the snow out in Edmonton? Yeah, we we had about four, I want to say four inches or so of snow between, I guess, Tuesday and Wednesday. Um, And, you know, it's funny you mentioned last time that uh, you go for a swim in Lake Ontario in the winter. And so I I started my morning now. Um, and I'll do it as, as mostly as winter goes on. Um, I'll stand on my balcony with <laughs> with no shirt on for three minutes. So I started oh, doing that last nice. year. So <laughs> it's one of the things that I do to kick off my day. Um, I love cold therapy. For anybody out there who's interested in learning about the method to our madness, Wim Hof is obviously probably the foremost leader on that, that topic. And there's lots of great videos you can check out on YouTube if you're curious. Yeah, cold therapy is everything for our nervous system, isn't it, Rob? <laughs> it's it's something. It's it's builds <laughs> the builds the toughness, you know. <laughs> And I wanted to, I mean, obviously we kick off the show with a quote and I wanted to start today because a lot of the leaders, we talked about burnout a few episodes ago and a lot of the leaders I've been working with, they struggle with too much. Mm -hmm. And so John Maxwell, obviously he's one of the leading people in, in leadership. And he says, all true leaders have learned to say no to the good in order to say yes to the best. (laughs) <laughs> I love that quote. Love John C. Maxwell, the OG leadership coach himself. What do you love about that quote? It's something that we're actually working a lot with the leaders we're working with right now. That's is, right. Yeah. Is like we, we went through the values and now they're starting to see things that are not. And it's exactly this, right? Is what are you saying yes to and what are you saying no to? And yeah. Quality versus quantity. That's what I say to my leaders. Got to be high impact in those decisions. Yeah, absolutely. And we have a special guest with us, Dr. Dave Schweiger. Now, before we get into it, so Dave is very similar to me. So he's a reformed engineer. Ah. He actually started his career in aerospace engineering. So it's great to have another another engineering guy on. Dave, how are you? I'm fine. How are you folks? We're doing great. And and Dave, maybe starting there, like we talked about a little bit about, you know, you came from engineering. How did you, like, tell us a little bit about yourself and how did you end up in leadership? Well, it's um, an interesting uh, trail. First, uh, I went to work for a company uh, right out of school, and um, I hated my job. 
and I was working uh, for a defense contractor. And, you know, I was a greenie and I thought this was going to be really great experience. It was boring. It was solitary. And all of these engineering people were terrible leaders. So what happened is, fortunately, at the time, a company was paying for a uh, tuition reimbursement plan. So I went back at night to get a master's degree. And son of a gun, I was exposed to human behavior and uh, had an influential professor who egged me on, encouraged me, decided that this was really good. And I was not going to return directly to this kind of job. Decided to go back and continue more graduate education and uh, wound up uh, getting uh, my doctorate and uh, in the area of uh, business strategy and organization and organizational behavior and all of those wonderful things and had a complete career shift. That's the, that's the short story, but that's what happened. So, and my first observation before I knew anything about leadership is they took a really great senior engineer, promoted him into a leadership position, and we lost a great engineer and we created an absolutely miserable leader. Oh, boy. <laughs> That's a story we see all too much, right? Yeah. Yep. So I'm curious. Uh, I'm curious. We're talking about leadership. We're talking about your leadership journey. Here's where we'd like to start. What does leadership mean to you, Dave? Uh, that's a challenging question. Um, I've uh, been doing a little homework revisiting that thought process. And, you know, you keep hearing people talk about what's the difference between being a manager and a leader. Yeah. And I think the big difference is, to be very honest with you, how do you engage the organization? How do you people get, get people motivated to want to do the things you're going to ask them to do? Uh, how do you inspire them? Um, how do you influence them? It's, it's learning how to work without having to rely on brute force formal power in an organization. I think everyone has a little bit of different way they get at it. It's very hard to fake it. You know, when people talk about authenticity, I've found if you're not excited about what you do, there's no way you can expect people around you to be excited about what they do. And the only thing excited they may be is getting you out of the way. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I ab- I absolutely love that. And and share with our audience, if you will, what leadership mission you're on currently. So you told us a little bit about your background, but tell us about what you're doing in leadership now. Well, um, very quickly, just as a background, I left uh, running a consulting company. Uh, I left being an academic and I decided I was going to head to the beach and have a great time. <laughs> So, uh, but I was really committed to wanting to give back uh, to businesses, to help leaders become better at what they do, uh, to help employees have better experiences, all in the process of accomplishing something together that would make a difference in the world, certainly, you know, economically. But now I'm much more concerned about blending the economics uh, with the need to really uh, improve upon a lot of things that are going on in society today. So it led me to join um, a couple of business people, uh, an IT specialist to create a new company uh, for organizational diagnostics that would allow people um, and organizations to get data that they can use to make better decisions on how to get things done, how to treat people, 
And, you know, we can go on into more detail as we progress, if you'd uh, like to do that. So I'm having a really great time now. I'm a chief product development officer, um, one of three owners of the company, and uh, we're getting off the ground. A lot of lessons to be learned. We have a team that ranges from anywhere from a Gen Zer to a baby boomer. It's been exciting. I still don't understand what the Gen Zers are all about, <laughs> but I'm learning rapidly. So you can imagine the excitement of all of that. Uh, having to, I'm having to even look at my own leadership uh, approach to the world as we see the changing demographics and technology and all of these things. So it's been interesting. I continue to learn, and I think that's the best thing you could ever ask for in life. Amen. And that's where I want to go with you, Dave, right? Like you mentioned Gen Zers, and I know some of the folks are actually, like I was asked, I think it was yesterday, about like how do I lead a Gen Zer versus a boomer? And I was like, well, I mean, the principles fundamentally are not different, but right. what do you see are the, the big differences with the Gen Zers? Well, you know, I've certainly read everything about them, but I had my first real, uh, it, well, not an issue, but experience with this 22-year-old uh, fellow that we brought into our organization. And um, it was interesting because very nice uh, person, and we were doing an onboarding process with him, and we were going to talk about who we were, what we stood for, and sharing some of the things I shared with you that the purpose of why we started this company was really important. Um, we had all, you know, had financial successes. So that was not the sole driver going on. And I started talking about the purpose and the values of the company and all of these things. And his eyes lit up like, wow, this is the kind of organization I want to belong to. And what we learned about the Gen Zers is that they really you know, certainly they want to earn a living, but that's not enough for them. Uh, they want to do something. And again, we're generalizing to a group. It's hard to do, but they want to do something that their work is meaningful. Uh, they want to be part of something bigger than them. There's a lot more social consciousness among them going on. Um, they're just very, very different. And to add to the whole viewpoint on fulfillment uh, technology. They've grown up with technology in the middle of their hands. I started out, you know, programming with IBM cards um, back in, I won't tell you how long ago. <laughs> and now, you know, they've grown up on very sophisticated interactive video games. Uh, technology is, they don't know anything other than technology, whereas we started kind of in the early days of it. So in that regard, yeah, I think they, you have to lead them um, a little differently. Uh, certainly, they are different from boomers, at least my generation, in the sense that, you know, we got out of college. We wanted to go make money. We had a lot of ideals, you know, Vietnam War and things like that. But still, it was money drives and career drives. Um, I think that's a big issue now. Where they work also is becoming an issue. They are very deep into quality of life. We're seeing a lot of this with the, I guess, what they call the great resignation, yeah. Um, or what I, or what someone told me is the great transformation, not resignation. They're moving out to places to get away from big city. They want to be with their families and we can go on and on. But that's my experience so far. It, it's still a journey I'm on learning, but that's what I've experienced. I'd be curious what you folks have. 
Well, we've got quite a few episodes that we can send you in regards to our thoughts on that, because we've definitely been digging real deep into this great resignation or the great retention, as we're calling it, thanks to our friend Mike Zanny. Yeah. Um, But I think where we want to go with you, sir, is we want to learn a little bit more about why you chose to get into this space in your leadership. So you're talking about developing... um, you know, these types of assessments, right, that you're, mm-hmm. you're able to offer leaders and their organizations because you feel that that is something what that is lacking or something that we're not doing well enough. What inspired you to decide to get involved in that aspect of leadership development and training? Yeah, well, um, probably coming out of an engineering background, you know, I didn't lose everything, thank goodness, yeah. uh, that I had learned there. But we believe uh, strongly in facts and data. Um, it's much better to make um, decisions when you can actually collect the insights and information that you need rather than making assumptions. Even our just our conversation right now about the Gen Zers, we were generalizing, which means you know you have to put in some assumptions. Some of it's based on fact, and some of it's guesswork. So we wanted to uh, you know be able to be in a position to help leaders get really good information. And since things are starting to move at, you know, at a much higher rate of speed, how do we do this in a way that will allow us to get as much information as we can use to, you know, basically develop good insights about what's going on inside of an organization? Now, how can we do it as simply, as cost effectively um, and as quickly as possible. Today, things are churning so fast, you don't have the opportunity to go out and spend six months collecting data and come back and analyze it and then talk about it. It's probably old news by then. Right. So this was the inspiration. And, you know, one of our uh, partners who is an ex-CEO and our CEO now um, craved this kind of stuff. We actually learned from him, you know, how much he he welcomed that data and said there was just a real shortage of it out there in the commercial space uh, that companies could go ahead, get this data, run it and work with a consultant uh, such as yourselves or do it themselves if they have a good internal consulting or organizational development staff to take this data and, and start addressing it and working on problems to close gaps. Um, that, that was you know, the real motivation for us. We all saw the value of this. As far as the space out there, um, we did a lot of competitor analysis in this, and we talked to many, many customers along the way. And we found that uh, there was a lot of demand. The market was highly fragmented, which means that you know we had the big companies, the major consultancies. A lot of them have their own instruments that they've developed, um, and they're good ones, but they typically like to use that as part of getting the consulting work. Right. We don't enter into that space. So what we wanted to do is the engine that provided the information. And there weren't really uh, many companies out there that uh, were able to do it. And we're using technology to reach as many people in the organization as we can. So whether we collect information from 50 or 100 or 500 people inside the organization, the effort's about the same uh, on our side. And because we can have this delivery mechanism through our technology engine, we can click quickly gather it uh, and analyze it using valid academic, academically high psychometric standards and um, 
be able to analyze data and give it back to the companies and let them work with it to get things done. And so on the data perspective, like if there's any leaders out there and they're like, you know, I would like data for I can, so I can understand sort of what's happening, like right. what type of stuff are you measuring and like what's kind of like an output that a leader might find out? Yeah. Um, well, you know, there's always hard data that you can look at. And then there's also um, what I would call behavioral data. We're big fans of the behavioral data. Uh, and, you, you know, let me just say we have three instruments that we have developed um, from best practices. One is leading into the future. A second one is remote worker. And the third one is on sales effectiveness. And some of this was just driven by what we see the market needs are and the expertise that we were able to build up around us to get this done properly. Uh, we are in some regards agnostic to the type of instrument, but we're strongly about behavior. Uh, everything we measure is to get reports on how leaders behave um, because that's what people can observe. A lot of people think the route into say leadership behavior is you know, to collect personality data or trait data, whatever. And that's very valuable to help the individual develop. But from an organizational perspective, we would ask the question, if your organization were able to speak to you, what would they say? And that's where we've gone for it is people's observation of the experience that they have had dealing with leaders. So we can feed it back to them. It's not trait data. It's anything from how they communicated in the organization um, to how well positioned they are to lead tech savviness in an organization, digital technology, you name it, we collect that. So th the way we measure it is through assessing behavior of anybody and everybody that we can think of or they think or their leaders think is relevant to providing the feedback. It could be customers fighting, providing feedback. It could be other executives. It could be employees. It could be suppliers, whatever you want but it just gives the insights, a very multi-dimensional set of insights to the leaders on how they're behaving. And then you can look at things like performance uh, of the organization. You know, For example, if you wanna look at a sales force, why is a sales force all of a sudden not selling products? Uh, is there a problem in the marketplace? Well, where do you get that information from? You'd wanna get it from the people throughout your organization who are interacting with customers. Uh, you'd want it for salespeople or inter interacting with manufacturing, you know, the delivery problems, all that kind of stuff uh, we would sort of collect data on. Hopefully that makes some sense. Yeah, abs absolutely makes sense. And so that, that's some of what we want to dig into, right, is just understanding sure. just some of the behaviors that leaders should really be looking at right now and wanting to assess, right, and wanting to understand a little bit more deeply. Right. Give yeah, just given the context of the, the world, we were just talking about the great transformation. I kind right. of feel like that's probably somewhere where this kind of testing, this uh, you know, the type of assessment on behavior would be useful to a leader. So why don't you talk about that for a little bit? Yeah, well, you know, continuing on from the conversation that we just had, you know, we think that there's some things going on in organizations today that are... Um, making it challenging for leaders to be effective. Mm -hmm. um, for example, we're seeing retention is a big mm -hmm. issue. 
uh, and it's all over the place. And now people are getting very picky about where they're going to work. We're in a very beneficial labor market right now, in spite of all what unemployment might look like, because there's a big structural dislocation between the kind of jobs that need to be filled, especially at the high end, and the talent of the people available to do it. And uh, probably with some you know, dampening on immigration, which country has relied on a lot, especially you know, from various places where engineering and things like that are strong, we're just not having the luxury uh, to be able to pick and choose to the same extent uh, that maybe even in the past. So the power is kind of shifted to employees, to be honest with you. I see it even where we live, where we work. You're watching wages go up and you're watching people say, well, I don't want to take that job. You know, I'll have to move there. Whereas baby boomers, by the way, we'd move anywhere. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that we weren't so particular. We were looking yeah, yeah. to work. Yeah. So, you know, retention of people, uh, the reputation you develop in the organization to attract uh, talented people. That's huge today. And those have big impacts, in my opinion, on performance. Mm-hmm. If you don't have the talent, you can't perform. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And, it, you know, we've also learned some things. For example, if you're dealing with people who are um, interacting with customers, especially if you're in a service-based business, we know that employee satisfaction and morale has a direct impact on customer satisfaction. Uh, we all know if we get on the phone with a surly customer service rep, you know, it's all over for the company. Yeah, right. And I had a few experiences lately. I just literally fired my um, my gym where I do all my workout <laughs> because they were not quite nice in responding to a need I had. I just wasn't going to wait around because there were a few other gyms that were kind of recruiting customers. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, I'm in. Mm-hmm. So I think I think those are some of the things that you know we're starting to understand. But getting back to the leadership behavior, we see it how leaders interact how interact with their organization affects those things. Mm-hmm. That's why it's critical. So it's not that you want to be a leader to be a you know a good person or a great person. That's nice if you have an ethical bent that's built that way, but it matters. We mm-hmm. see it. We've seen the research. It matters. So we thought about, you know, how do we characterize the leadership behaviors? So we came up with three um, categories of what we call buckets. And within it, there's a lot of stuff. So one, for example, um, is managing oneself. Mm-hmm. It's a really a prime import, a primarily important issue here, because if you can't manage yourself, there's no way you can manage others. And Amen. How- Yeah. (laughs) And I'm going to say some things here that you probably like, because I, you know, when I saw the background of your firm. So one of them are, are are the leaders themselves adaptable? Mm -hmm. Are they resilient? And it did my heart some good when I saw one word that you used in your stuff. Did they have the stamina to go to, to, you know, take on this challenge and stay with it over a long period of time? Because it's not going away. I saw that when we started up this company uh, two years ago. And that's the other thing. I've, I've, I've been living this, you know, as an executive in this company now, not as a consultant and not as an academic, that, you know, there are times you want to quit. There are times, you know, when things are getting tough, um, you're just going to have to dig in. And that's by the it. way, I like the idea. I support what you say about exercise. I'm a workout freak. And you know, I hit the gym, hit the bike, hit the golf course, hit the walking trail. If you're not healthy and fit, um, 
you're just not going to be able to stand up to the pressures and stresses of the job and release it. And there are a lot of people when they get stressed out, their behavior changes. Yes. Speak about that. There's a difference between stress behavior and normal behavior. And a lot of people who get stressed out, their first inclination is take control. And the worst thing they can do in those moments is take control. (laughs) Right. So, you know, we could go on, you know, the other things we found is, you know, do these leaders make themselves accessible to the organization? Right. Do they enable the people to know who they are? Do they Mm -hmm. live up in the, you know, in the palatial estate? Mm -hmm. And today, I think, um, especially younger people wanting to see more humans Mm -hmm. um, leading them and Mm -hmm. humans managing themselves. Mm -hmm. Maintaining self-control is another thing that we think is eminently important. And some of the things we're talking about here have a lot to do with emotional intelligence. Um, You know, there's the external interpersonal skills and then there's the internal skills that we manage ourselves with. Um, I work with a CEO. uh, I'll never forget this. He was brought in to turn around a company and the company had been struggling. And, uh, you know, he was a very successful CEO, came into this company and he hit a lot of frustrations and his people were killing themselves, working hard um, to make it work. And they were good people, talented. It was just a tough situation. They had some issues in the marketplace. Uh, they had some financial issues. They were pretty much constrained a lot of places around them. So these people, you know, months after doing this, one day he was frustrated and decided I had enough of it. So what did he do? He just Boy, he just destroyed the organization in about 10 minutes. He lost control, was screaming, was yelling and everything like that. And all the people you can see, they were looking around the room and saying, we've been doing this and this is how he treats us. By the (laughs) way, he lasted about two months later and the board eventually got rid of him because they said he had just lost the organization. And it sounds trivial to a lot of people. You mean over, you know, uh, you know, bursting out like that. Hey, humans are humans. They don't want to be treated like that. They want to, even if we're not making it, we need to be acknowledged that the effort we're putting in um, is good. The CEO needed to be a cheerleader in this situation saying, hey, how could we work together? Mm -hmm. Um, What do you need from me? All of these became critical uh, problems that he could not overcome. And then the one last thing I wanted to highlight, at least in managing self, is integrity. Um, It sounds so naive. You know, I've been around a long time. You figure I'm a baby boomer that uh, got a lot of gray hair. So I've been on this planet for a while. And I still believe that integrity is so important uh, that if people can't trust you, they're they're just not going to give you. Follow you. They won't follow you. And by the way, you could be a great leader. If you have no followers, you're not a leader, right? <laughs> exactly. That's what we say. Exactly what we say. Yeah. yeah. So you got to keep people, you got to keep people happy, happy and productive. Mm-hmm. And, and that's the other thing, you know, some companies decide we're either going to be performance oriented or we're going to be people oriented. And actually our work is saying wrong. You can't be on two sides of that continuum on one continuum. They're two separate continuum. If you want to be successful, you're going to have to treat people as a valuable asset. Mm-hmm. And in some businesses, that asset is even more valuable than in others because they mm-hmm. can walk out the door and there goes your business. Mm-hmm. And I've done a lot of merger integrations in my career. And you can see that, you know, a big company buys an entrepreneurial firm 
because they like their innovation. And then all of a sudden they subject them to the bureaucracy and kill them. Mm -hmm. um, but you also at the same time can't just create this feel good environment. You got to get real results to mm -hmm. keep investors happy. So you, you know, how do you find that balance of how do we get good performance from focusing on the tasks at hand and doing them well? And how do we get the best out of people? Mm -hmm. How do you get those people excited and wanting to go on this journey with you, both psychologically, uh, economically? It's it's a multifaceted uh, set of work, not mutually exclusive categories. And the CEOs that succeed find that really great balance. And all leaders that who, who succeed in doing that find, find a great balance in there. Um, I'll take a breath of air. <laughs> well, I want to know about, I definitely think we should hit on that, eh, Rob? It's like, as somebody who measures the behaviors of mm -hmm. that type of leader, right. what type of behaviors should our, you know, people out there who are in charge of looking for that type of leader be looking for? Well, to start with, I'd ask a simple question. Do you care about people or not? Yeah, that's a great starting point. We love that opening line. Yeah, you know, because I remember growing up during the Cold War era, yeah. uh, there was sort of a kind of a weird joke, you know, that, um, you know, nuclear weapons, uh, you know, uh, destroy buildings and destroy uh, everything around them. And they would say, well, you know, when you had a leader, uh, he's a walking, uh, you know, neutron bomb. He'll yeah. take out all the people and leave the assets standing. Yeah. <laughs> realize that the assets um, are the people. But, you know, things yeah. that, yeah. you know, they can do first, and this is fairly new in, uh, in leadership, and this is something we measure. Are you creating a safe work environment? Yeah. And I'm not talking about just physically safe environment. We're talking about a psychologically safe environment. And certainly we've seen a lot of things about that on discrimination, for example. Um, you know, is it a comfortable place where people feel welcome that they can come uh, and and work? But it goes deeper than even that. It's do you berate people? Um, are you asking people to break ethical rules? Are you putting pressure on them to sell? We've seen that with several companies in the mortgaging business. I think it was Wells Fargo. They were pushing their salespeople to sell fraudulent products to just bring in revenue. And that collapsed right in on them. Um, so, you know, that's really important to safe and work environment today, especially with, you know, when you look at the United States, for example, um, we have got an aging population. We have got an ethnically diverse population that increasingly gets diverse you've got to create an environment for these people to feel welcome and to be able to operate. So rules are shifting as the demographics around us uh, are shifting as well. Mm -hmm. um, you, would you let me continue a few more? Uh, yeah, I want to give you some space here. Too. Uh, no, you, you are the one we want to hear from, sir. Okay. So give the more you got, the better. Keep, keep All going. All right, we'll keep going then. <laughs> let me know when you run out of gas. <laughs> I've been working out. So we'll see who can keep up stamina-wise, all right? Let's go. Are you, are you up for the task? Bring it. Born ready. All right, right Rob? <laughs> yep. Um, it. You know, the other one, and some of this we knew, we're aware of, but people don't understand it, being empathetic. And yes. it's really important. And, you know, people will confuse it with sympathy and weakness. I, I think it's strength. Yeah. Um, and that the, the empathy is understanding 
what we just talked about, these various uh, groups of people from different cultures. Um, I spent a good part of my consulting business traveling around the world consulting. So obviously now to me, it's second nature that you go here, there's a cultural difference in how they deal with conflict. You go here, it's another way. I've lived in the Northeast and I've lived in the South, in the heart of the South in the United States. One is a very direct culture. The other one is sort of an evasive culture. You got to know how to be able to negotiate your ways around, but but being respectful that these differences are legitimate. Um, I think we run the risk, and a lot of leaders do, of just being arrogant about the whole thing. You know that I have all the answers, I have all the perspectives. I think it's valuable. The respect motivates people, mm-hmm. and, and if you respect them and you don't berate them for saying things that you don't like hearing. They're gonna, they're gonna, they'll wrap themselves around you and do everything they can uh, to make you a success. But if you treat them like dirt or you don't respect their differences, you see that there's an incredible risk of this not uh, working out. Um, the other thing is fostering accountability. Uh, I, you know, this goes back to task. Also, it's not only good enough that you can manage. Uh, to have empathy and things like that, but you can, we still have to get results in organizations. And there's a lot that needs to be done on how do we um, create conditions where people are going to be con- uh, accountable. Uh, it's not all up to the employee. Do you set proper expectations? You know, a lot of tried and true principles here on how people can be um, uh, okay, accountable and effective. But more importantly, and we've done this in our own organization, and maybe it works because we're smaller, we hold each other accountable for, to each other. Mm-hmm. And we all feel, we've created a culture of accountability more like we don't want to let each other down rather than someone coming in there and saying, okay, did you do the job today? Did you get it done? We're trying to inculcate that kind of culture wrapped around with some kind of you know check-ins and you know, performance evaluations, whatever else uh, that we need to do. Uh, Another one tried and true is how we manage conflict uh, and how we manage collaboration for that matter too. There are two sides of a story Mm. that need to be uh, dealt with effectively. So uh, we've done a lot of work around that. Um, I've, in my consulting business, have facilitated a large number of executive teams in the process of getting uh, strategic work done and organizational work done to drive the decisions that are being made as to where we want to go and how we want to run the business, what markets, what products, uh, et cetera. We also believe today that, and it goes back to a little bit to the empathy conversations that promoting diversity and inclusion, making it more than it's okay, but it's a valuable part of our organization. So when I was working with some of these international companies, you know, the first thing I would look at is who's on the executive team and where is the company uh, incorporated? And son of a gun, it's not just an American problem. I was I worked in France and lived in France for a number of years. And, you know, the French are just everyone's arrogant about their own culture. And they're also it's what they know. But, you know, if you have a company that's global, multinational, um, who's on you? Who's on your executive team? which perspectives are being represented, what knowledge is being needed. So it's not diversity inclusion for the sake of it, although it's a nice thing, it's on there because you need the insights and the knowledge 
of various people who have perspectives that are not sufficient to driving the business everywhere we want to go. Uh, it's why the reason we have, you know, Gen Zers on the team is not because we want to just give all those young folks jobs, which is nice. But in the world we're entering into, we don't know enough as uh, baby boomers. We just don't. Uh, and you have to have the humility to be willing to accept that and openly say it and welcome other people in with ideas who will challenge you. It's not a sign of weakness. It's a sign of strength that you have enough character and self-confidence, but enough humility that you can take the input from uh, other people. And then, you know, this whole understanding and engaging other people is, is a key theme in, in what we're talking about now. And then I think the other thing is supporting team and personal development uh, is important. Developing uh, whatever skills are needed or competencies, call them what you want, um, to run the organization into the into the future with all of these changes going on. So you got to invest. Uh, you got to help people learn. You got to help people get better. Uh, without de development, I mean, you're on a short course into the future. You're not going to be around very long unless you're learning at at least the rate of how the market's changing. So we think that this is very, very critical that the leadership has it as part of its KPIs, um, its performance indices to, to reflect that we, what we say is one thing. And here we go again, behavior, what we do is another. And, and that's a really <laughs> important message for us because we look at websites, we look at our own, we got a lot of value statements. We've got a lot of mission statements and da, da, da. And my experience is it's great to write down, you know, we're going to treat employees with respect, our customers, whatever, our communities. I've worked with so many companies, they don't even have to work it out. We can just Xerox it from the previous company and hand it to them. <laughs> it's do you live by it or yes. not? And yes. again, it's not in the writing. It's in the doing. It's in the experience that people are having interacting with the leadership team. Okay, now I'll take another deep breath. I'm curious. I think we got to ask, Rob, you know that study we, we reference on here of the, the Harvard Business Review did a study last year where they studied all the development and leadership uh, globally. And 75% of those organizations rated that uh, training completely ineffective. And it's because they hadn't touched on this whole concept of mindset, which is what we focus on here. Uh, as a as a means for behavior modification with the with the leadership development, yep. right? So I, I'm curious because you're you're talking about how important that is is that we're constantly learning and growing and keeping up with the rate of growth in terms of the the velocity of of change in terms of we're talking about technology, just even that in and of itself, right? Yep. Yeah, so I'm curious as a consultant who's worked with all these different uh, organizations, when you're you're seeing those interventions um, in terms of the leadership and development training that they're doing, what what are they focused on? Are they focused on the behaviors and the behavior modification? Well, I think, that, well, I have worked um, in a lot of leadership and executive development in addition to consulting. You know, it's one of the things that happens, you get to be, you know, known professor, you get to go around and and we've done open programs and we've done a lot of custom programs for specific companies that bring people in on their teams from all over the world um, to, to work together. Um, leadership development, you know, that's just one way to do it. I mean, there's experientially based approaches into, you know, project assignments. We've done all of these kinds of things. Um, 
it, it, well, there's a couple of things I would observe about when it works and when it doesn't. It doesn't work when everyone's been through the leadership training development programs except for the senior leaders. Oh. Because they don't have anything to learn in some cases, but, they, they, but their organization does. The problem is that a lot of these people get big expectations that, oh, we went through this program, life's going to be great. And then they go back to the old environment that does not reinforce a single thing. In fact, some cases doesn't even know what they learned if they cared in the first place. We don't know. So it varies there. When that happens, it's almost a certainty that it's a matter of time before all of that learning either dies or the people become so frustrated that they decide to leave the company and go elsewhere. They're enlightened, but no one else. So it has to be up and down. Uh, the leadership, and there has to be alignment among the leaders uh, as to how they're going to go about it, because it's that alignment that reinforces what we've come to understand as the organizational culture. When people are doing things alike, it's more reinforcing. It's going to influence other people. When people hear one thing, see another thing, see another group behaving this way, then that way, then all of a sudden what happens is kind of chaotic. Uh, there is no culture. People don't feel like they're a part of anything. So I think those programs that you are, are very uh, valuable. We've used a lot of those programs as a way to create networks of people throughout the global organization and build relationships. So there's been content that we talk about, whatever they may be, but there's also the process of development and putting people together in rooms for several days to learn, hey, I've got kids, you've got kids, I don't have kids, you don't have kids, to build those kinds of uh, rapport. Relationships, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, there was a great book I read years ago that came out of the Center for Creative Leadership. I don't know if you've stumbled on them. They're out of Greensboro, North Carolina. And they've done some really great uh, work. Uh, and they wrote, uh, did a study, uh, I knew their uh principal investigator uh, that was called Lessons from Experience. And one of the things that stuck out about it to me was that executives in particular who had a very tough um, event in their life, emotional event, especially a business or a personal, obviously a business or a personal one, a case in point, having to go in at a very young age when they're in the company to shut down a manufacturing plant and let people have to let people go. When they got that experience early, they became so much more effective as leaders. And the reason being is that they got it at the emotional level. You know, yeah. it's okay to get it intellectually. You know, a lot of us get things intellectually, go, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah, I know that. I know that. I understand that. But I never felt it. And once you feel it, you have a different level of learning. So I think you can learn intellectually, but you also have to learn as a leader to take those experiences that are emotional, like going on an overseas assignment and pulling your family up, maybe. I don't know that you could do that with everybody anymore, but whatever the case may be, they've got to get learning through experience in addition to learning in a classroom or learning and reading um, and good companies, you know, will do that. And there are two benefits to it. One, People learn, and two, you get real work done. And that, those are two good combinations um, in an organization. So, you know, those are just some of the things. I, I don't want to see. That was excellent. Thank you, sir. <laughs> I think Rob had a question. Did you? Yeah. Yeah, I was 
I forget where we were going, but I, I do like the, <laughs> I do really like where you're going with this because I do think that, I mean, underpinning all of this is self-awareness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. And self-awareness, both from how you show up, what you do, like the values on the wall. And I think that's where I've seen the biggest gap, Dave, is what you said was the values on the wall and how they play out at the ground floor level or at the guy who does the work. The gap is usually somewhere in the middle there. And I think a lot of executive teams don't see that. And what you're doing with the assessment is you're really showing them where that gap comes out. Exactly. I think you hit it right on the head. We identify what the gap is and where in the organization it lies. Now, and what's interesting, thank you for opening that because that's a very interesting area for us um, because you got to get feedback. And anyone who starts to live in a vacuum long enough, you see it with celebrities, you see it with athletes, you see it like that. Some of them, you know, they get full of themselves and they go into a vacuum or they hang out with nothing more than people just like them and they change. And without feedback about how I'm behaving, I can't read your traits. For you to get, you know, assessment, a psychological assessment on your traits, that's good for your personal learning. Then I would look at my traits and look at how the organization reports. And therein lies a very interesting thing on how you put the two together. The executives come out, well, I'm, you know, they're very introverted, whatever. And then all of a sudden the organization comes out and says, yeah, you are introverted, but it's a problem. Now what? <laughs> We're not going to change an introvert. I can tell you now I've learned that's the other thing I've learned is you are not going to fundamentally change people. You're not going to fundamentally get rid of people's weaknesses, core weaknesses. You might as well find out what their strengths are and play to them. You know that as an athlete, you know, there was I was a albeit I wasn't at D1, I was at the at the third level division, division three basketball player in college. And, you know, there's just some things that, you know, you could train me until I'm dead, but I wasn't going to get better at them. I, I was limited in how tall I was, put me out <laughs> on the rack, maybe, you know, things of that nature. No so, dunking for you, in other uh, words. No, I did. Oh. <laughs> I had a few ups. Very impressive. <laughs> Not anymore, however, I can tell you that much. Now I've had a couple of knee surgeries and, oh, you know, there's... Join the, the club. Time. Yeah, we're all pretty I'm, busted up over here on Team Elite as well. All of us ex-pro athletes—the <laughs> gift that keeps on giving. Yeah, wait—you haven't seen anything yet. Oh goody! <laughs> <laughs> I had a feeling. Yeah, uh, you're I think, yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. I, I think I just think we'd be remiss if we didn't ask this question because we love to ask this question to Uh-oh. all our guests. That's a and, setup. Is it a setup? Yes, it's a setup. Big pitch down the middle. Here you go. What do you want your legacy to be, your legacy in leadership? What do you want that to be, Dave? You know, gosh, this is a, it's an interesting question because I don't worry about my legacy. I do what I think is right. And I think I do what I think is meaningful to me and helpful. And the rest will either happen or not. And we'll take off. It's like someone once said, I love the expression, it took me 20 years to become an overnight success. Yeah. Uh, it's a great line, 
because yeah. it's true. Yeah. You will you will be a legacy or not. It's not something you can set out really to do. I, I I think for many people, at least in my case, I'm not sure it's something you can set out and accomplish. If you do the things, you'll be a legacy by how many people around you you've impacted in a positive way. How many people around you uh, have been able to get the benefit of your support as a friend of the things that you've learned, the feedback you've given them to help them develop and grow. So I'm going to leave that answer to the people who will come after me and and judge me. And if at that point in time I'm gone, I probably don't really care whether they had good or bad things to say. <laughs> but while I'm alive, I, I really do care about doing something that'll make a difference. And these are where my skills are. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I'm just going to follow my skills. And one of the things that's interesting, I'll tell you, is that this leadership instrument business, I developed a cultural one about instrument about 20 some odd years ago with a colleague of mine in Texas. And I never thought if you had asked me in a million years where about five years ago when I sort of decided to kind of slow down things a little bit before I decided to speed them up again. <laughs> I, if you'd asked me to name five things you'd be doing, I'd never think I'd be doing this one oh, wow. because I spent so much of my time being a research academic. Then I went into consulting, left my research academics, put it aside because I love consulting and facilitating teams and all these wonderful things. And now the primary skills that I'm using are my non-research skills to build sound instruments, to collect data, to feed it back, all of that stuff. Just it, it, So to set out to say, what would my legacy be? Let me live another 10 years, I hope, or so. <laughs> 20 would be nicer. And that'll be the story will be told off after the fact. Maybe I'll leave no legacy. I don't know. Well, I highly doubt that based on our conversation today. (laughs) You told me to reserve judgment. And so here's my judgment. I think that you are having a tremendous impact based on the conversation that we've had today and developing these tools that the biggest resistance I see to a leader becoming their best leadership self is I don't have the time, right? Like that, the, the sheer magnitude of responsibilities that are, a leader has to manage day in and day out, I think is one of the biggest points of resistance, right? To getting our leaders where they need to be to play their biggest impact game. So developing this type of assessment, you know, like you said, that's a deficient way for them to get the read on where their prioritization needs to be in terms of their leadership development, right? So just even that in and of itself, I have a feeling is going to leave a mark. It's 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 going to help us change the way the game of business is being played. Well, that would be nice, wouldn't it? Well, <laughs> isn't that part of the vision here? <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, we would like to definitely make, you know, again, I'm all about performance and I'm all about making life better for people. Yeah. Um, and they're not mutually exclusive activities. You just have to know how to deal with both sides of those to get the results that you need. How do you match them up? Mm-hmm. And you got to, you know, the other part of being, a, I think, a leader, just a few closing comments here, um, is you got to be persistent, but you got to be patient. They, they Again, it sounds like to an end of one continuum. I think they're on two continuum, to, mm-hmm. to be honest with you. So you got to sometimes just keep driving, but you got to realize that 
Things don't happen overnight. It's a long game like sports, right? That's what I love about sports. It's such a wonderful lab for measuring all of these performance principles that you're referring to. Right. And and you're going to find out in a great season when you're playing sports, you may have lost a game you shouldn't have lost. Mm -hmm. But you come back. uh, You you remain resilient. You just you can't quit um, while you're in the game. Now, if you want to leave the game, that's a personal choice for people to do whatever they want. Mm -hmm. But while you're in the game, you just can't quit when it gets tough. Uh, and that's the hardest thing for a lot of people is, you know, what point does my emotion take over? And I don't have the answer for any other human being. That's a personal call that everyone make has to make. And we just as people are physically strong and weak, some people are more mentally strong. Some people can tolerate dealing in a world of ambiguity and uncertainty. And some people need everything just tucked down very nicely. Mm-hmm. We're all different. I think everyone has to just get to a comfort zone to place themselves in the right environment where their emotional makeup, their skills and everything are a good fit. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, years ago, a lot of research was being done on what they called the realistic job preview, which was very interesting studies. And what it found is that a lot of companies are selling to hire people and a lot of people who want to be hired are selling to be hired. And oftentimes, nobody is sharing realistic information about <laughs> what they what it's really like to have me work for you and what it's really like to come work in the organization. Yeah. And what they found is that, remember the things we were talking about a few minutes ago, uh, attracting talent, retaining people. And, uh, ha- I don't want to call them happy people, but we would say satisfied people. They, they'll, they'll turn over. They'll leave. That the, that the expectations that were set are completely unrealistic with the realities of what they're experiencing. You lied to me. You undersold it. That becomes another part of the integrity issue. Loss of trust. Yeah. Yeah. Loss, and it, loss of trust, loss of loyalty. And I'd say for leaders, the, another old expression, I love these old expressions, is that um, trust is... Um, one in little drops and lost in big buckets. Mm-hmm. And I think it's really powerful. It's hard to build trust, but boy, is it very easy to lose it. Clive, Clive likes to say trust arrives on foot. On foot leaves and leaves on, on horseback. horseback. I love that line. Yeah, that's same. great. Yeah. yeah, it's we gotta we gotta wrap up here. Yeah, um, I see that. It was fast. I didn't realize it's when time flies when you're having fun, <laughs> eh, Dave? We'll have to have you back. Thank you. It would be a pleasure. Yeah. And so for everyone who wants to find more about Dave, we'll drop his LinkedIn in the podcast notes. You can find him there. And also, we are going to be offering the Odaptics assessment. So if you're looking for any of the assessments that Dave has developed, you can reach out to me or Susan. We'll make it happen. And... Yeah, I think it's going to be really insightful for a lot of our leaders to start seeing those gaps and seeing how they can close them to make both their people happier and their business performance better. So, Dave, I want to say thanks for joining us today. This was this was awesome. It was you undersold yourself short at the beginning, right? Smart man. (laughs) I won't say it's better to 
promise less and deliver more. <laughs> I just gonna say that's a mindset strategy. You like to over deliver. I respect a man who likes to over deliver. Yes, uh, <laughs> as long as you don't set your your standards too low. <laughs> that's right. Anyway, well, I I appreciate uh, the opportunity to be with you folks, and to be honest with you, this was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed uh, mixing it up with you folks. Uh, it's good for the blood. It stimulates. It's part of the learning for all of us. Amen. And you know, this is what life is about. If yes. you're not curious and you're not learning, um, it's a different kind of life. Yep, it sure is. <laughs> Absolutely. Dave, thank you. Susan, thank you. Everybody, thanks for listening. And we'll see you all next week. Take care. Bye, everyone. <laughs>